Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. Happy Resurrection Day. Today is the day that we celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when I say the finished work of Jesus Christ, what I mean is the reconciliation of all mankind back to God. What I'm talking about is that we as a people believe that when God created this earth, he made it good and mankind messed it up through disobedience. God said, here's my world that I made and I establish these orders for how I want things to work. Don't cross this line. And mankind was like, which, which line? And we just jumped right over it. And from that point forward, there was a separation between mankind and God. There was this chasm, there was this break that God started working to repair. And it it, it, it took thousands of years working through the lives of, of the Jewish people and establishing a covenant and establishing a home and faithfulness and unfaithfulness on the, on the parts of his people. And it all culminated in the fulfillment of the plan of this man named Jesus. And he was born, he grew up, and when he became a man and he taught his disciples, a point came in his life where he said, it's time for me to go and suffer and die and raise again. And the reason why he's suffering is because that offense that we started in the garden when we disobeyed God created a guilt on mankind for all eternity. Every human being who was born after that period of disobedience was born into this same guilt that we disobeyed God. And there was no way for us to pay this debt. If you imagine a courtroom and God is the judge, he's saying you have broken the law and the punishment, the wages of this sin of what you did is death. That's the payment for you disobeying me. So you can either take the punishment yourself or you can let someone take that punishment for you. And that's what Jesus did. He died on your behalf to take that punishment for you. And then he beat the entire system by coming back to life. And that's the beauty of what today is all about. The idea that he didn't just submit himself to the point of death and saying, I will take the punishment for you, so now you can be declared not guilty in the eyes of God. He then went the next step and said, once I take this point, I will now become the first fruits of this resurrection and I will come back to life, I will beat death, and I will now promise the same thing for all of you. So if you follow me, I promise that you also will conquer death. That's a pretty good deal. Because death is the one thing that all of us fear most. That every amount of our uh, toiling and working and sweating and investing and living will one day expire. That you don't get to take any of it with you. 
That's the one fear that we all live with, that because of our choices, we will one day hit a point that everything we have done will amount to nothing and we have to pass over and stand before this God in judgment. And Jesus said, I'll conquer that for you so that you're no longer guilty, but I'll also conquer it for you so that you can live beyond that, so that there is life after death. That's the beauty of what we're celebrating. So that's what I wanna do today. I wanna spend a little bit of time studying these themes of death and life. Because while we understand those are cornerstone themes to what we believe as Christians and the way that we walk, I think that there is a little digging in the garden that we could go a little bit deeper on how these themes are not just something that are true about us, but are actively working out in our lives on a daily basis if we're aware of it and we're interested in it. Are you with me? Uh, I hope so, because if you're not, this is where I'm going and I'm gonna be alone. (laughs) I want us to really, really consider that these themes of death and life are the thing about being a Christian. Because there's lots of things that are, that are told to us that this is what being a Christian's all about. Being nice, being polite, minding your manners, going to church on Sunday, wearing good clothes, voting for this party and not this party, speaking up about these things but shutting up about these things. That's not what this is about. If you came to Jesus because somebody told you that you would have a better life than you have now, that guy was lying to you and I wanna fix that confusion. Because the life of a Christian, the life of a disciple, the path of following Jesus is about two things, death and new life. That's it. There is no other thing that this is all about. Death and new life. And I want to explore those today. And I want to do it picking up what we've been studying the last few weeks on the life of Paul. We've been working our, wi- our, our wife. We've been working our, um, our way through the book of Acts. We started in Acts 1. We went up to uh, Acts 20. And I was, when I planned out our sermons last year, I, I did a hard pause on Easter because I wasn't sure if we were going to spend a little time in Acts on Easter or if we're going to do, it's going to do like a standalone message. Um, but in preparation the last two weeks, it became abundantly clear that where we are in Acts is exactly where the Holy Spirit wanted us to be. So I want us to pick up in Acts 21 today, Okay. Now, if this is your first Sunday, if you weren't here last week, I'd like to give you just a little bit of background on where we are today, because it's kind of a pivotal point in Paul's life. Paul was this guy that Jesus saved in a radical way. Paul was uh, a Jewish guy, and he spent most of his early life pursuing and killing and arresting Christians. He then got saved, his his life got completely transformed, and he started going on these missions trips um, primarily around the, the country that we would know now as Turkey and Greece. So he went on this first missionary journey, he started planting churches, then he went on another, on a second missionary journey, he stayed longer in some of these other cities, and then he went on his third missionary journey, he revisited all these previous churches. He spent a good amount of time towards the end of this third journey in, a, uh, in the area of Greece, a city called Corinth, he wrote a couple of the books that we now know today. He wrote Romans and First and Second Corinthians. I'll reference those today. But he is now on his way back from this third missionary journey, and he's heading into Jerusalem. 
So he has now met with the leaders of the church in Ephesus. He is leaving the city called Miletus, which is a coastal town. He's hopping on a ship and he's gonna start bouncing from these seaport towns, the seaport towns through the Mediterranean on his way back to Jerusalem. And that's where we're gonna pick up the story today. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Acts 21. If you don't, let's pick it up here. He's heading to Jerusalem and Jerusalem is hostile territory. Chapter 21, verse one, it says, when we had departed from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos and the next day to Rhodes and from there to Patara, that's in the region of Turkey. Having found a ship to cross over to Phoenicia, which is uh, modern day Lebanon, we went aboard and set sail. And we'd come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, which is a, it's like an island. We sailed past it up towards Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was gonna unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples in this town, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, now that's a, it's an interesting phrase, that, that Greek word through the Spirit doesn't mean that the Spirit was literally speaking through them, so this is what the Spirit wants. It's a word that essentially means because of. So what it means is that the Holy Spirit had shared with these people that something was gonna happen to Paul and they took it on themselves to make a decision about what that meant and what their advice to Paul was gonna be. So through the Spirit, because of the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, why are they telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem? Because the Spirit revealed to them what was gonna happen to Paul when he got to Jerusalem. Now, there's a little piece of information you need to know about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center point. It's the focal point for the Jewish people. It's where the temple is built. The temple is where the Jewish people do all of their worship and their celebration. This is the same temple that was standing when Jesus was alive. It's the one he looked and said, I'm gonna tear this down and rebuild it in three days, talking about his resurrected body. But everybody thought he was gonna tear down this giant temple. And just to give you a sense of how massive this thing was, I want you in your mind to picture two Doke Campbell stadiums right next to each other. That's how big this was. So the Jewish people had been given God's law through Moses. They were given this land through David, through Solomon. They built this temple. They built this entire structure. They were disobedient to God. They were led off to Babylon. This is what we studied when we studied Isaiah last year. They came back. They started rebuilding the temple. And now you've got this massive structure in Jerusalem that's as big as two Doak Campbell stadiums. And it is the symbol for how far God's people have wandered away from God because they are more interested in keeping this entire system and structure afloat than they are God. They care more about ceremonial washings and the way that you do things and not who you're doing them for. And so Jerusalem has become a hotbed for persecution against Christians, which Paul is now one of the main leaders of because he's going around spreading the gospel to everybody. And the reason why it's hostile is because when Paul brings this message of Jesus, 
being the one who has satisfied all of the guilt on, on your behalf before God, who has erased all of your shame, has given you, um, has given you new standing, has raised from the dead, that essentially wipes away the need for the entire temple structure. Because this massive building is all about going through the order of worship that God had previously established through Moses on getting people right. You, you break God's law, how do you atone for that? Well, you have to take an animal, you have to shed its blood, you have to bring it as a sacrifice, then a priest has to do this thing, then you've gotta walk through this thing, then, then he does this thing and he prays these things and there's this goat and he's laying these hands on, there's a whole, it's like it's a whole day long process. And the message of Paul is that, hey, all of that stuff, not necessary anymore. So you've got all of these priests, you've got this entire structure that's been going on for thousands of years, and suddenly they're saying, what do you mean I'm out of a job? So there's, there's a political structure here because they're under the Roman Empire and they don't want to upset Rome. There's a religious structure at work here. There's this actual entity of a building that is no longer necessary and all of this imagery built around an entire culture of people who now has been fulfilled 100% in the person of Jesus and all you have to do is follow him. You mean to tell me that all you do is follow this guy and I don't have to learn all those 400 laws? That's what I'm telling you, because he fulfilled them and they're no longer necessary to satisfy God's wrath against his people. That's a pretty radical message and Paul is coming to the heart of Jerusalem to spread it. And that's the reason why his friends, when they hear through the Holy Spirit that he's gonna be persecuted in Jerusalem, start telling him, Paul, don't, don't, don't go to Jerusalem. Don't walk this road of suffering. If you know that what is ahead of you is pain and suffering, here's what you do. Don't walk down that road. Take a different road. If you know that this is, is gonna hurt you and it, it might take your life, here's what you do. Don't do it. Do something else. You've got, a, you've got a successful ministry, you've been on three missionary journeys, you've planned all these churches. Hey, Paul, just don't go back to Jerusalem. But we see this resolve inside of Paul, even in the midst of his friends saying, don't go, he seems compelled to go. We're told in Acts chapter 18, verse 21, that the Holy Spirit had stirred inside of him and compelled him to go to Jerusalem, and now he is committed, this is what I've gotta do. So my question is, what did Paul know? Because if I hear through my friends, hey, God told me that if you go to this town, they're gonna arrest you and you might die, I'm gonna make different travel plans. Troy, will you cut the air conditioner? Thank you. Someone's like, oh, praise God. Oh, I can't feel, I can't feel my fingers. If you tell me that if you go to this town, they're gonna arrest you, then I'm gonna make different travel plans. But Paul doesn't do that. He's compelled by the Spirit to follow this path that's filled with suffering. And I wanna know why. Because it seems to me that he knew something that motivated him to do something that was incredibly difficult, even in the midst of his friends telling him, don't do that thing. So what did you know, Paul? Let's continue, go to verse five. It says, when our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, kneeling down on the bench, or on the beach, we prayed. So we said farewell to one another, then we went on board the ship and they returned home. 
And when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus. We, we greeted the brothers and they stayed with them for a day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. There he is. If you've been following us, you remember back in Acts chapter eight, there was this young guy who was going around witnessing to people, wild stuff was happening. He baptized this guy out in the lake in the middle of the desert. And when the guy came back up, he just, he literally teleported 20 miles away to a different town. Well, we find out in Acts eight that he settled down in Caesarea. We don't hear anything from him until here. He's Philip the evangelist, one of the seven, one of the original seven deacons that were selected in the church of Jerusalem. And they stayed with him. Well, what, he, what has he been up to? He's been raising a family. Verse nine, he had four unmarried daughters and they prophesied. Man, all right. Imagine living in a home with four daughters. Where's Morgan? But all of them are prophets. I can imagine that was a wild house to live in. But man, Philip, he couldn't get enough of it. He loved raising these four little girls who all prophesied. And this is where Paul and his friends stay for a little while. Verse 10 says, while we were staying with them for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now we remember him because he's the one who prophesied that there was gonna be a famine in Judea. And that's what prompted Paul and Barnabas to take up a collection and give an offering from the church in Antioch down to Jerusalem. So this prophet, Agabus, he comes back down to uh, Philip's house and he walks in. He comes in and he takes off Paul's belt. Man, classic prophet, huh? He started, what are you doing? Man, prophets are always doing weird stuff, right? Isaiah walked around like three days completely naked. Well, what are you doing? I'm just trying to get you to look at Jesus. All right, well, here's my belt. So he takes off Paul's belt and he binds his own feet and his hands and he says, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and will deliver him over into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him, don't go to Jerusalem. <laughs> now you've got two groups of friends telling you that if you go to Jerusalem, you've got the spirit literally speaking through a prophet who's taking off your belt and binding your own hands and your feet with it telling you don't go because if you do, you're going to be arrested. You might even die. Verse 13, in the midst of the people urging him, don't go to Jerusalem, Paul says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, he ceased and said, he ceased, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Verse 15, I'm gonna come back to this, this is important. And after these days, we got ready and we all went up to Jerusalem together. Now, Paul has got two groups of friends telling him not to do this thing that God told him to do. 
What is the thing that God told him to do? To go to Jerusalem, to be okay with suffering. And his friends are telling him, don't do that. Don't be okay with suffering. That's not what the Christian life is about. It's about self-preservation. It's about living your best life now. You're fine. Don't walk towards death. But Paul did it anyway. He, he literally says, I am ready. You mean, Paul, you're ready? You're ready to be arrested? You're ready to be imprisoned? You're ready to be beaten? You're ready to be killed? Why, Paul? Why are you ready? Why are you so prepared for what is coming your way? Because this path that Paul was walking on that was filled with suffering, he wasn't the first person to walk this path. Now, when I moved into my home uh, where I currently live with my family, the backyard's got a bunch of woods in it. One of the first things I did when my kids were little was I wanted to cut some trails in it because I wanted to take advantage of the wood because around here, the woods are so thick. Unless you cut trails, it just grows so thick you can't even enjoy it. All you do is just walk into a, just a briar bush and walk out with ticks. So if, if you don't cut trails into the woods, you can't really even walk through and enjoy it. So the first thing that I did when we bought the property was I, I, I rented a bush hog and I just tore off through the woods and I started cutting a trail. That was nine years ago. And that trail is still there today. Because once I finished cutting the trail, that wasn't the last time that we walked down that trail. My kids walk down that trail. If you've come over to my house to sit around a bonfire or whatever, you've probably walked down that trail. That trail is now well-worn. It's now a part of those woods. And the reason why Paul is so committed to be able to walk this path that, that is filled with suffering and pain and death is because he was following somebody on this path. This was a well-worn path that had already been blazed before him. And he wasn't just saying, I'm going to walk to Jerusalem and suffer. He was following another guy who had also previously walked to Jerusalem to suffer. Go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Matthew 16, 21, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And then on the third day, raise again. Interesting. Now we're starting to see a little bit about this path that Jesus walked. It was filled with suffering. It was filled with agony and pain, but there's also something else on this path. There's new life, there's resurrection. But Peter, one of Jesus' friends, took offense to what he was saying. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. Stop talking about all this suffering in Jerusalem. And he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Interesting. So you're telling me that the things of man are to avoid pain and suffering, and the things of God are to walk straight into it? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. And it's the reason why Jesus' friends are telling him, don't do it, and Jesus does it. And Paul's friends are telling him, don't do it, and he does it anyway. 
because there is a path that Jesus walked and Paul is now walking and it is filled with suffering and death, but that is not the only thing on the path. The path is filled with suffering and death, but it's also filled with new life and resurrection. And that's the marvelous thing about this because this path to Jerusalem that's paid with suffering ends with new life and the new life actually makes the path worth it. Don't miss that. The, 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 the core theme of death and life that fill the lives of the Christian is that this path that our Savior walked on was absolutely filled with suffering and death, but for a purpose, because just beyond the suffering and death is new life. And that is what Paul knew, and that's what gave him courage to walk this path. So Paul is ignoring his friends because he understands something important, and here's what he understands. That there are no shortcuts to following Jesus that if you wanna follow him, you have to put your feet in the same footprints that he put. If you wanna be united with Christ, you have to be united in his death and his suffering because that is what initiates new life. You cannot have new life unless the old life is gone. That's really important because it means that in order to become a Christian, you have to let go, you have to put some things in, in the ground, you have to die to something in order to experience this new life. When Jesus is talking about becoming a Christian, he talks about it like being born again. If you wanna be born again, that means that your previous life, it has to come to a conclusion. It has to end, it has to die. Now here's what's wild about this. On the third missionary journey that Paul is just now coming off of, he wrote letters to the churches and he actually referenced this exact concept to two of those churches. So this isn't just something that's rolling around in Paul's mind. This is a good concept. This is what's motivating my life. No, this is the only thing that's motivating my life. That I get the privilege to put my feet in the same footprints that Jesus did and walk that same path of suffering. That I, in a way, get to be united in that pain that he walked to understand the death just to get to the new resurrection. So let me share with you these two writings, these two references, these writings that he wrote. The first one is in the book of Romans. It's in chapter six. Let's go to Romans six, verse three. So Paul, writing about the theme of death and life on this same trip says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him 
in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Listen to me, because what he's saying, there are two components to this theme of life and death. And what he's saying here is that the moment you get saved, when you say, all right, Jesus, I confess that you are real, you are a real man who really lived, I believe you are the son of God, and I believe that you died in order to take my punishment, and if I, if I put my faith in that, then I believe by faith that my sins are atoned for, my guilt is washed away, and in the court of God before the Father, I am declared not guilty. Not that I didn't do these things, but I am no longer guilty of these things. I believe that. And I'm gonna outwardly display that I believe that through this process of baptism. I'm gonna go to church, I'm gonna get somebody to dunk me down in the water, and that moment of going down in the water, I am unifying visibly to everyone that can see. Just like Christ went down into the tomb, I'm going down into the water. I'm uniting my new life with this death of Jesus. But I don't stay under the water. I come back up out of the water just like Jesus rose out of the grave and just as I was uniting myself with him in his death, I am uniting myself with him in this new life and I am, I am publicly professing that the old me is dead and the new me has begun. I am now born again. That's what it means to become a Christian and this is what Paul is referencing in, in the midst of the themes of death and life. He's saying that when we're talking about walking on a path, some point in your life, you're just gonna have to start walking the path. Nobody is born a Christian. Everybody at some point in their life has to decide, I'm gonna stop following me and I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna stop deciding that I want things my way and I'm gonna start deciding that I want things his way. I'm gonna stop valuing things in this world with my value system. I'm gonna stop leaning into the things that I want and that I think I need and I'm gonna start leaning into his way of telling me what it is that I need and I should, I'm gonna let him change my wants too. I'm getting rid of me and I'm being raised into new life. Paul is saying, don't you know that when you got saved, you got put on that path because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let's, for a moment, this, we've got a camera, we're zooming way out. That's why this weekend is so important. Because it's not just about a historical event of a man who was crucified and died, placed in a tomb, and three days later rose from the dead. It is about what that message means in the life of human beings moving forward. It is an invitation that this story that took place over three days can now be injected into your life and you can put your old self in the grave and raise into a new life without having to walk the rest of your life with all of that shame and baggage that was either, either put on you or you willingly put on yourself. You get to be new. That's the, that's the message of Romans 6. You started at some point in your life, your life, you got on this path, and this path is marked by death and resurrection. You died to get on this path by uniting yourself with Jesus, and you rose into a new life. It started, but it doesn't end there. 
okay? For some of us, that's where it ended. Because you were convinced that, well, now I'm saved. Now what I need everyone to do is, is to start being like me. If everyone would just start thinking like me and talking like me and liking the things I like, then this world would be a whole lot better place. You have missed the next step that is demanding of you constant transformation. And that's the second part of this message. And to get to this, to understand that the theme of death and life doesn't end the moment you got baptized, it continues. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Second Corinthians 4, 7 says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For if we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Holy smokes. So you're telling me that the theme of life and death only starts the moment I get saved. That the thing that Paul knew that his friends didn't understand is that walking towards persecution is just a small representation of the walk that all of us are supposed to be doing all the time. So you're telling me that Jesus walked this path towards suffering that then translated and initiated into resurrection. Then Paul walked this path of suffering, he got on it because he was transformed and he stayed on it and walked towards it because all of the persecution on this path is a way of identifying your life with Jesus that ultimately translates into resurrection power. You're telling me that this path that they walked on is now the same path we're always supposed to be walking on? That death and life are not just the starting points, but it actually is the theme of our entire life? That's exactly what Paul is telling you. Let me break it down like this. Once you become a Christian, the rest of your life is about dying and resurrecting until the point when you finally die and are ultimately resurrected. What does that mean? That means that anger that lives deep on the inside of you, that wells up when things don't go your way, as you're on this path, it's gotta die. That's what it means to be on the path. It means that this drive you have inside of you to not just succeed, but be better than the people around you and to constantly remind them of it, it has to die. Oh, but that hurts. Because that's my personality. I've always been that way. Not anymore if you're going to unify yourself in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Here's what, here's what not enough people talk about. If you're going to follow Jesus, you can't keep being you. You can't keep walking around with the same crutches 
and sinful desires and flesh that wells up anytime you don't get your way, you can't have that on the path of suffering. Letting go of that is the suffering. Listen, it feels good sometimes to indulge your flesh and to sin. Why? Because that's what you were born into. It feels good to get the last word. It feels good to put someone in their place. It feels good to be right. At times, because we're broken humans, it feels good to lord your rightness over other people. But Jesus said, you can either have that or you can have me, but you don't get to bring that with me. Why? Because that's not what I did. I did not equate equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he humbled himself as a servant, even to the point of death on a cross. So what are we saying? We're saying that the moment you get saved as a Christian, this thing we're celebrating this weekend, it initiates the whole process of you being born again, but that's not the end of the story. It literally starts the now ongoing process of you dying and being raised up into new life. Because you can, conv- you, you can continue to live your life thinking the best thing for me is to give myself what I want. Or you can say, I'm gonna put that to death and I'm gonna let the new thing that he promises raise into life. Okay, the best thing, what I want more is to just hold on, to keep things in my hand and to not give. I like receiving. The best thing, my flesh likes getting and that's what my life is about. It's about getting, how much more can I get? But Jesus said, well, it's better to give than to receive. So that thing in you that says, I want it all, it has to die. And it's gonna be painful, because you're gonna have to suffer through what your flesh truly wants, but on the other side of that, you get to enjoy the new life of finding joy in giving rather than receiving. So let's summarize and synthesize what we're talking about. Paul was empowered in this journey to walk towards suffering and death because one, Jesus walked the path, but because two, death and suffering aren't the only thing on the path. New life is on the path. And three, we've learned that Paul is encouraging us from Romans and Corinthians to also walk this same path. You start it by death and suffering and you stay on it by death and suffering, which means until you're no longer breathing and living on this earth, the process of transformation in your life of going down and coming back up into new life, it will not end. And if you are convinced that you have slayed all the monsters and there's nothing else about your character that, it's, that you need to work on, it's time to get on your face because you have blinded yourself to the true you. I would venture to say that you're spending less of your time in community and letting other people share with you what they truly see and you're just only reading your own press. Because that's one of the beautiful things about community. When you start hanging around with other people, they start showing you things about you that you can't see about yourself. And you know you got like a big old like patch of hair like missing here on the back of your head? You like cut your own hair or something? What, what do you, oh, I didn't see that. What's well, a good thing you've got friends? <laughs> hey, do you know that like when you don't get you, your way, you like pout? No, not me. 
Do you know that like when you hear a piece of information, the first thing you do is you like go and tell nine people about it? Like there's a Bible word for it, it's called gossip. Are you aware that like you do that? Well, not until you brought it up. Well, guess what? Everyone else is aware of it. And if you want to really experience the newness of Christ, then you have to let that die. You can't keep doing the old things and experience a new life. So Jesus walked this path. Paul walked this path. We're called to walk this path. And now I'm going to pull it right back over to it. Remember when I said in verse 15, put a pin in that. Remember this? I'm going to go back to this Acts 21 verse 15. It says, after all of Paul's friends who had at first said, don't do that. Don't walk the path of suffering. Don't die. Don't go towards there. Avoid pain and suffering. Avoid transformation. Just be the way you are. Don't go there. And Paul said, Why are you continuing to break my heart and weep over this? What did they do? Verse 15. After these days, we got ready and we all went to Jerusalem. In the end, Paul won over and his friends started to understand the path he was walking. And what did they do when they started to understand? They got right behind him and they followed him to Jerusalem. So here's the question today as we close. Are we ready to go to Jerusalem? If we see the well-worn path that Jesus has walked, and we see that there's pain and there's suffering on it, and we see that, that Paul has walked that path, and we see that he's expecting us to walk that path, are we ready to put our feet in the footprints that Jesus left? Are we ready to follow the path of suffering and death? Are we ready to take up our cross and follow Jesus? Are we ready to lose our lives in order to inherit something infinitely greater than anything that you could spend your whole life trying to grasp and still come up short? So this is the message of Easter, that our God came down and took on human form and let his own creation beat him and mock him and kill him so that his own creation could follow in that same path of being broken and dying so that on the other side of it, you can be raised into new life. Do you wanna be new? Do you wanna be transformed? Are you tired? of buying what this world is selling? Are you tired of living your life in a way where you are convinced that everything that you want is exactly what you need and the moment you get it, it turns out it wasn't what you needed? Are you ready to put that stuff to death and walk the path of suffering to Jerusalem, to our King and experience resurrection power? Are you ready? because that's what it is today. This is what we're doing. Every moment when God, by the Holy Spirit, pricks your heart, hey, that thing that he said he's talking about you, you gotta do something about it. And the doing something is always death. We have to be a people who are no longer afraid of dying or putting our lives to death. Because until we do, we will not experience the glorious life that Jesus has promised his people. We will continue to live 
some second-hand, great-value version of a Christian life that the world looks at and says, eh, you don't really look much different than me. But I've had enough of it, and I'm committed to walk the path, and I would like you guys to follow. Let's put some things to death. Amen? Amen. Happy Easter. Let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you want to hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us, and God bless.